So hello, everybody. Uh, welcome. I'm delighted to be joined by AJ Martinson, uh, the director of The End of Blindness, a new documentary. Um, so welcome. Um, so how, how are you doing? How's it going? Uh, it's uh, another beautiful day in Pasadena out here, uh, California, just enjoying the good weather and uh, getting ready uh, for the fall season coming up. So it's uh, it's great. It's great. So yeah, as, as I mentioned there, uh, the the end of blindness, uh, a documentary film um, that's due to be released, I believe, on uh, VOD on the sixteenth of November. Um, so could you just sort of give us a bit of a bit of insight into the film? What's the film about, and and sort of you know how did it sort of come into fruition, really? Yeah, so The End of Blindness is the incredible true story of Dr. Samuel Bora. He's the only ophthalmologist for 3 million people in Western Ethiopia. Um, you know, his story completely captivated me while I was over in Ethiopia filming for a nonprofit called Tropical Health Alliance Foundation. Um, they, I've been volunteering with them since I was about 16, and they brought me out to film some of the work they were doing with cataracts in Ethiopia. They introduced me to Dr. Samuel, who is their lead ophthalmologist. And what's so unique about him is many nonprofits, they work with people who will fly into the country, do surgery, and then fly out. But Dr. Samuel, he's an Ethiopian who is dedicated to doing cataract surgery for the blind poor in his country. And, uh, you know, his story just completely captivated and inspired me when I met him. And I realized after about 10 minutes of talking to him that this wasn't a two minute promotional piece, this was a full length feature documentary that the world needed to see. And so I, uh, I told the nonprofit, look, I'm gonna do this as a documentary, independent filmmaker style. It's not a promotional piece for their nonprofit, although they are part of it, but we took it and we made it into a full length doc uh, with my production company. And uh, now it's coming out on, you know, the video on demand on November 16th. So it's been a journey. Yeah, definitely. Sounds like an incredible journey though. I did not realize the, the filmmaking process. I was looking a bit into your background um, as, as a, you've done a couple of film, um, sort of more fiction or narrative cinema before I've seen you've done a bit of, uh, stuff like that in the past, but this is just a, a bit based on what I've seen, at least this is your first documentary that you've made, right? This is my first, um, feature length documentary. Yeah. We've done, uh, I actually mostly before this film, I used to do a lot of editing for documentary stuff. I actually worked on the Walt Disney biopic. Uh, I've done two or three. Uh, edits for PBS. So I come from a docu background. Narrative is my passion. Um, and I like true stories and I like basing my fiction on true stories. So my other film is a Cold, Cold War spy thriller about uh, the Kennedy. Always kind of flirted around, you know, these kind of topics that are true, based on true. But um, this is the first time that I've taken the reins and said, okay, I'm going to do the feature length documentary. And really, it's Dr. Samuel's story that inspired me to do that. Uh, if it weren't for him, you know, this documentary, it, well, it wouldn't exist, of course, and I wouldn't have had the inspiration to go make a full-length doc. So it's really just trying to get the word out about what he's doing there, because it's just incredible. Just incredible. It is, it is an incredible sort of achievement and endeavor, what's going on out there, that, as you capture it in the, in the documentary. I mean, you mentioned there your background in the volunteering side of things and, and your, your affiliation with the organization itself. Like, how did that, like, was that, like, a very natural progression? Like, sort of, were you always doing, like, uh, philanthropic uh, things like that? And, and were you doing a lot of volunteering before? And sort of, was your filmmaking sort of going on alongside that? Or did that sort of come out through the through the volunteering that you'd done? Well, that's a, that's a great question. So 
I basically got my start with this nonprofit, like my start in film with this nonprofit when I was 16. I, I went over to Ethiopia with them as a volunteer and I took a handy cam and I just filmed whatever I saw. And I went home and they said, well, can you edit something? And I said, okay, let me try. And we put something together and they loved it. And they encouraged me to pursue, you know, my talents as a filmmaker. And that was about the time I decided to, you know, I wanted to be an engineer or something like that. But because of that trip, I became a filmmaker. Flash forward 10 years later, we're in Ethiopia again, and that's when we meet Dr. Samuel. So this was kind of the bookends of the first half of my filmmaking career was starting with them. And then 10 years later, getting to go back and make this film about Dr. Samuel's work. So that was really cool. Yeah, and speaking of Dr. Samuel's work itself, like what was that like in terms of filming? Obviously you're not only in very like high pressurized situations in terms of surgery and so on, but in terms of like, how did you approach that from sort of wanting to capture the the truth and the authentic nature of it, but also not trying to be too invasive that it maybe became a bit distracting? How, how, did, how was it like balancing that? Well, Dr. Samuel, you know, he makes it very easy for us uh, because he says you stand there, you touch nothing, you say nothing and you film. But in those parameters, we were able to capture, you know, get into the OR, scrub up, with you know one camera and get close-up shots, you know feet away from what he was doing with the long lens, and really get able be able to capture in 4K all the beautiful details of his surgery. Um, and Dr. Samuel, he is a perfectionist, and he is you know a machinist when it comes to these surgeries. He is just absolutely precise. Um, his infection rate is actually lower than some doctors here in the United States. And we had an American doctor vouch for that who has looked at his surgery and says he is doing absolutely incredible work. Um, and so, you know, filming that, you have to be very careful because you don't want to be the person to mess up his infection rate. So you stay where he tells you, you keep away, but within those parameters, we were really able to capture some just absolutely gorgeous footage of the operations, which you can see in the film. I was just going to say that as well. Obviously, what we see on screen is very sort of almost like hard to watch like especially as someone who you know maybe isn't particularly uh, keen on like you know surgery or sort of scenes like that in more narrative cinema this is mm. real this is real patience and it you capture it in such a way that you know you don't shy away from those details like how was that as well like filming sort of and in the ed editing process too deciding like how much are you going to show in what detail, you know, how was, how was the balance there? That was, that was a huge debate that we had with the nonprofit. Um, and I actually was a little bit shy at first and I was a little bit nervous that people were going to react really poorly to this, but the nonprofit had a mantra and they said, it's something that people will remember. It will stick in their minds and it's informative. Um, when you see an actual cataract lens coming out of someone's eye and the real lens going into someone's eye, uh, at first you have a squeamish reaction, but, you know, for me personally, I became fascinated and captivated by, wow, look, that's the exact thing that's causing someone to not see. And now the thing that is able to help them see again and see perfectly, because the moment that lens goes in, they go from blind to 2020 vision. Uh, each lens is calibrated for each person's eye so they can see perfectly. Um, and so I think that really was the deciding factor of just, you know, we wanted to make something that people would remember that if there was an ophthalmologist watching, someone in the medical field, they would recognize Dr. Samuel's beautiful technique. And for general audiences, you know, hopefully after the initial squeamish reaction, it becomes fascinating 
that wow, look at this intricate work that's being done. Um, and we tried to we tried to dial it back at some points. There were some graphics stuff that we left off because it was just a little too much. We try not to dwell too long, but we did think it was very important that you saw the process in full uh, and not shy away. Um, and there's there's a Netflix documentary also I think called The Surgeon's Cut that did the same thing. So once that came out, we felt very safe and comfortable uh, showing real surgery. Yeah, I guess it's just striking that balance for a general audience as well. But in terms of like the the approach that the overall direction and the approach to the documentary, um, excuse the pun, but it's quite eye-opening. Um, <laughs> you know, it is quite, um, and it, is, it seems this kind of little through line um, on a more narrative level, at least. I'm not sure if this was something intentional from a, on a directional, directorial level, but there seemed to be a kind of um, a through line throughout the, throughout the documentary about kind of seeing the unseen and, and looking at these really sort of this story of this, you know, this, this surgeon who I don't think many people, if anyone has ever heard of doing this amazing work in, in Ethiopia, this really vital work as well. And this, this kind of the parallel there between, you know, bringing back the vision of the people and the, and the, and the patients, but also, you know, giving vision to people from other countries and, and elsewhere in the world to, to this incredible story. Yeah. You know, Dr. Samuel, he, he came from, very little. He came from very little. He used to walk to school miles, miles, and miles a day, every day, barefoot, eight or nine years old, just to get an education. Because he wanted to get an education because he wanted to help people from eight or nine years old. And, and, and for someone like that to be so driven and to really fly under the radar, to not get any recognition for the work that he's doing, is, is, you know, he's just one of those great unsung heroes of our world. And there are hundreds and hundreds of people like that every day who are out there fighting these incredible fights to help people that just go completely unnoticed. And, and I really wanted to, just like you're saying, you know, bring light to the patients, but bring light to Dr. Samuel's work because he needs to become, you know, higher profile because people need to be inspired by him to also become ophthalmologists in his country. My, my biggest hope is that someone watches this and says, wow, I want to go be an ophthalmologist in Ethiopia. I want to go live there and I want to do cataract surgery because the only way we're going to end this fight, you know, against preventable and treatable blindness is if we have a lot more ophthalmologists. Um, he's one man for 3 million people here in America. We have a County that's next door to where I live that has 136 ophthalmologists for 2 million people. And they are underserved by our standards. So that just shows you how many more people we need to inspire with this film to go out, to live in Ethiopia, to become ophthalmologists and to serve the poor. And um, the beautiful thing about Tropical Health Alliance Foundation is I believe that they're equipped to support multiple uh, ophthalmologists, but they just need the personnel. They just need the people who are willing to be there and to serve. Yeah. And obviously, Dr. Samuel is one of those as well, is that person. And you mentioned that about his background in terms of education and his upbringing. And you do, you do touch quite sort of poignantly on that in the documentary. How was that? Like, obviously, you say that the film, its, its origins were as a kind of promotional piece for the foundation. How did, how did you sort of develop those ideas in terms of what you were going to show and how you were going to show it in terms of, you know, his upbringing, his background? Because it's, it's not just about the surgery, but it's, there's a lot more to the film as well. How did you, how did those come about? And, and sort of how did you decide what to include and what to sort of not include? Well, the, the number one thing we didn't want to do is turn this film into just a sales pitch of like, hey, donate, hey, donate, hey, donate. That's not what this is. That's not what we wanted to do. What we decided our, our mission was going to be 
was to tackle the core of his story and let people see and experience that and decide for themselves if they're captivated by the movie, if they're interested in what Dr. Samuel's doing, if they want to get involved, they can, and there's resources and that you can find the URLs easily. But really, really, our goal is just to tell the story and to tell it to the fullest extent. Now, that story does involve the nonprofit. And so we do interviews with the nonprofit. We bring them in, we rope them in and show, hey, not only is Dr. Samuel doing his work in Ethiopia, but there's this entire team of people here in America who's also supporting him. And that kind of plays into this theme that I have in the film. It's called the cycle and the circle of giving. Um, because Dr. Samuel didn't pay for medical school on his own. There was a Finnish missionary who saw that he was doing good work, that he wanted to help people. That Finnish missionary goes back to the United States, drives taxi nights and weekends and sends the money back to Dr. Samuel so he can go to medical school. Dr. Samuel gets through with medical school. He says, I am not going to just, you know, take care of the people in Addis Ababa in the capital city where I can make the most amount of money. I'm going to then go out into the countryside where it's very difficult to make money because I want to help the people where I came from. And then there's a bunch of people in America who say, we want to help people see so we're going to give back to Dr. Samuel's program, give him the equipment, give him the funding he needs so that people can come to the clinics and not be charged anything or be charged very, very little so that they can see again. That, that cycle and that circle of giving was kind of our driving motivation. Let's show that. Let's tell that. Let's not make it a sales pitch for the nonprofit. And, and, and that's where we, we cut a lot of stuff, you know, interviewing nonprofit. They love talking about their mission. They love talking about their work. They love talking about how much this costs, how much that costs. We cut all of that just down to the bare minimum of here's what Dr. Samuel's doing. Here's what people in America are doing. If you like it, you're interested. We hope you'll get involved. But if nothing else, take away a good story. And remember, this is someone who's doing this incredible work. Yeah, and you mentioned the cycle of giving and, and so on. There's also this kind of th like through line in the film as well about sort of breaking the chain of dependence and uh, enabling and empowering these people to be able to you know do their own work. And, and you mentioned that about potentially you know this film acting as a source of inspiration and potential for future recruitment for future ophthalmologists and um, surgeons and so on. Um, there seems to be like a real, there is like a real narrative to the film. It doesn't feel like this is just, you know, putting a camera in front of someone and sort of interviewing them. I mean, as I mentioned earlier, you, you kind of have these almost like flashback segments that we see um, when you're talking about his childhood, uh, that stopped someone's childhood and you, and you kind of, there's a lot of cinematic qualities to this. I mean, there's a lot of like revolving shots or time-lapse footage or um, just really beautiful cinematography. Like what was the sort of inspiration? Like you, you did a lot of very cinematic qualities to this documentary. Well, for, first of all, that's a, that's a huge compliment. Uh, uh, you know, I shot the film by myself in Ethiopia with one camera and one light. So the fact that you're, you're talking to me and you say it was cinematic and, and not just talking heads means mission accomplished. That's exactly what I was going for. Um, I really, really get bored easily by talking head interviews. Um, it, sometimes they're very effective, but for me, I like to keep the audience and, and try to hold them and engage them with, you know, thing after thing after thing and keep telling the story. Um, and so it was just my sensibilities in, the, in that context of, you know, let's make this a movie. Let's make this cinematic. Let's make this, you know, gorgeous and stunning. And of course I was helped because Ethiopia is a stunning 
and gorgeous place to photograph. You cannot take a bad shot. Everywhere you look is just beauty. There's color on the walls, color in the architecture, uh, color in the, the lush landscapes and, and, and the beauty of the sunset there and the sunrise and Dr. Samuel walking through these compounds that are aged and, and you know, overgrown. It, it's just, you know, it was just inspiring to be there. And, and it was a combination of like, yeah, just keep it moving, keep it interesting. Don't let it sit and linger on someone's talking head too long. And that was just kind of what pushed me through. When you're talking about dependence, if I can jump in on that a little bit, one of the biggest tragedies and something that really has stuck in my mind ever since I started going to Ethiopia is you see these blind people being led around in the streets by children. Being blind in Ethiopia is difficult. It's really hard to be blind in Ethiopia. They don't have the social programs that we have here in the United States that can help you know, ease some of that burden. It's difficult everywhere, of course, but in Ethiopia, it's especially difficult. And so they don't have seeing eye dogs. And so they indenture children to lead them. And one of the most amazing things you can ever witness, uh, and we touch on this in the documentary, and it's one of the things I wish we had captured more of. Uh, we th unfortunately didn't see enough of these patients that we could really get a full segment in there, was you know, showing what happens when one of those blind patients has their, eye rem uh, their cataracts removed, they're able to see again, and that child that they're leading around is able to go free, let go of that you know, person's hand and go back and play and be uh, you know, with their family and friends and go back to school. Because this program really does, people come in blind, go out seeing, and it creates uh, independence where there was just complete dependence before. So um, you know, that's some of the stuff that kind of motivated me is that it's just a very dramatic situation that you're in and trying to capture that drama authentically and uh, beautifully as best you can. So, yeah. And you, you mentioned the authenticity of everything. I mean, even it's kind of like this, I don't know, from multiple parts of the film, I kind of had like two, almost like two different layers to the film. There was hmm. this kind of, you know, obviously these are ordinary people. These are just, you know, real patients that you're capturing. But then there's these kind of segments in the film as well, where there's kind of almost like, it almost feels like a narrative. You have, you know, these these rows of patients who are kind of, you know, staring down the camera and 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 these kind of real raw, genuine emotions, but captured in a real cinematic way that feels mm. like they're scripted, but they're completely. You can you can you can tell that from the pure joy and elation from these patients that you know this is one hundred percent you know real. But how did you go about sort of directing ordinary people? Like, obviously, there's not much direction to do in a documentary, but. It feels like there were certain segments, especially where it almost felt scripted. I don't know if mm. there was like some segments you shot like retrospectively or if there was, you know, there's a couple of shots of like really the sort of cinematic like rows of patients or um, cinematic footage of people running down streets and stuff like that. Like how, do, how, was it how did you approach directing from that perspective? So everything, everything that you're mentioning, that was all captured at the time that it was being kept, like it was all captured in the same block of two weeks while we were filming. And it was all captured in the moment when these things were occurring. Um, there were a couple pieces, for instance, you know, Lalise walking down the road after she can see again. Yeah. Um, we had to take her and say, okay, let's do a shot where you're walking down the road. And we did stage that just a little bit. Um, but when you're talking about patients being able to see again, when those eye patches are coming off, um, that is very genuine reaction. That is all filmed right there. Now, you know, to get some of those more cinematic motions and shots, we set them up 
you know, a little earlier in the morning. And I said, okay, give me 10 minutes to get some B-roll. And I would run around and I would shoot, you know, different shots to really illustrate each of these things. And then, okay, let's lead them up one at a time. So the moments were real, the moments were genuine, but I was able to work with Dr. Samuel, our translator and the nonprofit to, you know, step through each situation so I could get the best shot as it was occurring. So that allowed us to do some things where it wasn't, you know, if we if we had just played the whole scene out in real time, you could only put one camera here. But it's like, OK, wait, before that patch comes up, I need to you know move in, get a close up. OK, now take the patch off. OK. And now, you know, we see the rest of the interaction, things like that. That's how we got yeah. through those, you know, more yeah. uh, cinematic segments. Because even like the shot, there was like a shot and one that's distinctly stuck in my mind is like, um, I think it's sort of towards the end of the film when a lot of um, surgery has been done. There's kind of mm -hmm. rows of seats with patients all with eye patches on. And yeah. it just, it was like, a, it felt really ethereal. Like it felt like this, it's it's so real and, and, you know, painstaking and heartfelt, but also it had this real like, like a, like a cinematic quality to it. it like, like I mean, it felt so, it almost looks like it was like, production designer come in and put these chairs in these places and you'd lie in and and all this stuff and you know blocking and choreography and all this stuff and you know it just feels really cinematic as I said before oh well first of all thank you that's <laughs> that's so good to hear um but no that those are that scene in particular those are the exact benches that those patients sit on when their eye patches come up they line them up in the morning um and and he does do up to 60 a day i think in that scene he'd done about 35 40 uh if you go back and count but um yeah they line them up on those benches they just dragged them out of the mission where they were operating and sat them all down on the benches and and they're like okay you have we're gonna start pulling patches in five minutes shoot what you can get and there's something about the light in ethiopia uh the quality mm. at early morning you know it's it was 7 a.m it was just beautiful and and I had one gimbal in five minutes and that's what we got. Yeah. And uh, I, I, I'm so glad that you are really resonating with it because I think yeah. that's one of the most beautiful pieces. I mean, just to see how many people in one shot that he was able to operate on in a single day and then realizing he's going to do that for the next five days at that location and then move to another location and another and another. That, that is the, what just blows my mind yeah. about his work. I guess a lot of it as well is just, Obviously, as a cinematographer yourself, kind of knowing where to put the camera and, and mm -hmm. how to capture that footage, I guess that really adds like a, a real quality to the cinematography. In terms of, I think, I think we actually did, I think we actually did see you in at one point in the film in a in a wing mirror, I believe. In uh, yeah, if I'm not mistaken. Well, so what equipment were you using? Now you mentioned a gimbal there and one camera, one lens, well, one light. Sorry, what like what um what were you shooting on and and stuff like that? Yeah, so this was all shot on a Sony A7S II, uh, tiny SLR. Uh, when you go to Ethiopia, you're not allowed to bring in big production equipment uh, without filling out a ton of paperwork and import fees. Uh, so when you go, you can just take a you know prosumer or DSLR camera, and that's it. And we had that, a couple of lenses, and a gimbal. Um, and we were able to shoot everything in Ethiopia with just those three pieces of equipment. And like you're saying, it's it all came down to, you know, one of my things when I was shooting that is looking for like silhouettes, looking for, um, you know, keeping the exposure down. How can we keep it in this kind of beautiful, creamy palette to really showcase the countryside? 
Um, and yeah, it's somehow with one camera and me like pulling focus at the end of this barrel while I'm running around directing and yelling at people, we pulled this off. And frankly, I don't even know how we did it, but we did. And uh, it looks great. So <laughs> it does look great, yeah. You mentioned the B-roll though that you filmed as well in terms of just getting some sort of just footage. How much of the maybe not not necessarily maybe the actual overarching story but how much of the film was sort of made in the edit because there's a couple of moments i think you mentioned silhouettes there there's one moment in the film where dr samuel i think it's dr samuel's on screen there's a really mm -hmm. beautiful silhouette and it kind of edits and fades into this sort of almost like flashback dreamlike footage so lay over the top of the silhouette and it kind of transitions and transposes into the next scene like how yeah. much of the, how much of those moments were made in the edit how much was sort of pre-planned in advance like obviously needing knowing what to capture for that b-roll but how much of it was sort of with something in mind and how much of it was sort of constructed in the edit? Well, th this entire film was built in the edit. I, I wish I could okay. say I had the foresight when I went out uh, <laughs> to know what I was going to do. But when we actually went out, you know, we had gone out in mind with just doing a two minute piece. So right. we didn't realize, you know, we had no idea what patients we were going to see. Uh, the Thatilages, uh, we met on the very first day where, where, where we were filming and we only had two days with them or three days uh, to follow their story. Uh, same thing with the, uh, you know, Lalise. When we got to the rural area, they were like, oh, well, we have a patient. Let's see if this is someone that you'd be interested in filming. And it turns out it's this incredible story of this blind mother who's never seen her baby. And she's 23, but has the cataracts of a 70-year-old. Uh, it's incredible. So we just got really, really lucky um, and then when you come back to the edit bay, when you come back to post and you see what you have, it, it was really told then of like, okay, well, this is the footage we have. What's the narrative through line we want to tell? Oh, and th this shot works here. This shot works here. Oh, Samuel driving here and him, you know, this, this kid running in this courtyard out here, that is him in the past. And you start to blend and fade them together. And oh, now you have a flashback sequence. And so it was, it was a lot. And that's what took us so long. I mean, this was three years in post to figure out all these pieces and then do all the technical polishing that's required after you get your story, you know, hammered out. So we spent a lot of time, you know, I spent a lot of time nights and weekends to really develop this and, and craft those points that you're talking about. Yeah. You say it was lucky to be in the right place at the right time, but I feel like, you know, given the, the information we're given in the film, it feels like you could have gone almost on any day and you would have had such a wide range of stories and, you know, people to, to do, I guess, more, more case of, just, as, as you say, being in the right place at the right time, not necessarily a look thing, but maybe it was more of, you know, you knowing, you know, because you obviously you've worked in that environment before, knowing sort of where to be, who to be around and, and sort of those situations as well. I guess that kind of helps you as well. Uh, absolutely, absolutely. And the nonprofit was really good, uh, you know, about uh, telling us, okay, well, this is about to happen here. So you need to get over there right now. You know, we're about to pull eye patches or, you know, they would coordinate with Dr. Sam because they have a longstanding relationship with him. And, and we'd sit down around the dinner table the night before and plan things out of like, OK, well, tomorrow, you know, when we drive out here, we're going to capture this. Um, so it, it, there, there was a lot of experience that went into that. Um, but we could have gone out and there could have been, you know, very few patients who had an, such a compelling story. And that's where I think we were really, you know, just got a little bit lucky that our patients on that particular trip with Dr. Samuel was as compelling as they were. Cause uh, yeah. you know, uh, but I'm sure, you know, there are thousands of patients that he sees every day. We would have found something, but yeah. Yeah. yeah you mentioned earlier as well, obviously you're from the U S and then you've been on these sort of um, volunteering endeavors into Ethiopia. What was it like, um, I mentioned before about the approach to directing sort of ordinary people, but 
how was it in terms of your involvement and your interactions with people from Ethiopia as like an outsider almost like how mm. how did that sort of pan out as well well Dr. Samuel you know he says there is the American way there is the Dr. Samuel way and then there's the Ethiopian way. <laughs> and those are all three different, uh, 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 three different things that you have to navigate. Um, but the, you know, honestly, the, the beautiful thing is Ethiopians are just the most friendly people. Uh, it was a beautiful place, amazing people. I've been multiple times, the food was incredible. And so uh, as much as I wanna say, I had some sort of harrowing story to take away from it. Uh, everything was just really fantastic. Everyone was so nice and helpful and eager to participate in this project because they realized you know, how important it was to get the word out about these things, about what's happening, about what Dr. Samuel's doing. So, Yeah, you mentioned this is sort of a, a line in the film about people sort of somehow find a way of knowing about this, this surgery and people traveling from different countries and stuff like that. Like, did you ever find out the answer to those questions? About how people about how people get there, like how do people get there? How do people, how do people find out about it from like these miles and miles away? Like, I, you know, the 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 whispering chambers of Ethiopia are faster than the internet. That's a quote from one of the nonprofit guys that we interviewed. Um, and so, I mean, just imagine that you have a neighbor who was blind and can see again and for free, and she lives right down the street. Well, she's going to tell her entire family, that entire family is going to tell their next door neighbors, and it's just going to spread like wildfire. Um, and, you know, the first couple of times he did the clinics, people weren't too sure. There's a little bit of hesitancy. But, uh, you know, now that he's been doing it for so many years, as soon as the town announces that there is going to be a clinic there, that word just spreads out to all the surrounding villages almost instantly. And anyone who is blind will come. And most of the time, there's a treatment. Most of the time, it's something simple, cataracts, trachoma, things they can treat or help you know, slow down. But sometimes, unfortunately, there will be some severe conditions that they can't treat and they'll have to send people away. And that's really heartbreaking for Dr. Samuel to see. Um, but it really is just word of mouth spreading as far and as wide as possible. And that shows how hungry people are you know, and how, how much they need this surgery and how much they need this service um, because, uh, you know, it, it really does. It reaches across borders and other, and other people from other countries show up. So, yeah. And in terms of the, um, because you said you found out about Dr. Samuel through the organization, right? Because yeah. I was, I was just wondering, one of the questions I actually had in preparation for the interview and you've, you've, you answered it right at the start, so I didn't need to ask it, but it was kind of this idea of how did you come across this incredible person? Like yeah. what, but it, it, you know, sort of to build on from that, like, what was he like as a person, and and sort of to work with, like, as as an individual. We've talked a lot about the wider film, but Dr. Samuel himself, what, what was he like? Yeah. So, Dr. Samuel, the first thing you'll realize about Dr. Samuel is he is a hard worker, and he takes his work very seriously, and he understands the weight of what he is doing. Um, he's also very humble. He does not want to be known through this film as a miracle worker or, you know, some sort of uh, anything more than just a surgeon. That's all he wants to be known as is I am a surgeon. I do surgery. This is what I do. I punch in and punch out like everyone else, um, you know, he, but in that hard work, it's just so fascinating 
to watch because you really see the dedication he has for the poor. And that's the sense you get about him every single day. He is dedicated to helping those in need. He puts that above everything else. You know, he sacrifices spending time with his family to go out every two weeks into these rural countryside areas. And they understand too, you know, that he needs to go do this because he's just compelled by this sense of gratitude for the people he came from, for the people who helped him become an ophthalmologist. And, um, you know, in every single conversation with him, that's what really shines through. But he does have one vice and he does have one thing that he gets really persnickety about, and that's his coffee. (laughs) Uh, You know, Ethiopia was the country that basically invented coffee. And Dr. Samuel, he is a coffee drinker and he is picky. And so he would take us to little places, little, you know, little roadside stops. And he, he, he get out of the car and he look, he say, that place doesn't have good coffee. This place has good coffee. We're going to go here. And then we'd sip the coffee and say, well, you know, get graded on a scale of one to 10. Now keep in mind, this is better than any coffee you've ever tasted in the United States. And he'd take a sip and go, oh, Today, it's a four. Usually, it's an eight. I don't know what they did wrong. And, and you know, all the people from America are just like, this is the most amazing, you know, coffee that we've ever had. So he's, he is a very, uh, he's a very strict and stringent coffee drinker. He only wants the best. Um, so, you know, he does have a little bit of a sense of humor behind all the hard work. I could, just that's, a, yeah. that's kind of like an interesting, like, thing there. I was going to ask you about this. I'm not sure if this comes across as like an insensitive question to ask, but um, there's this kind of, you know, you, you talked about the kind of, you mentioned there like the cultural differences in terms of like, you know, the coffee and so on, but on a, on a more broader scale in terms of the actual film mm. itself, how did you approach it from a perspective of kind of, because the, at least when I was watching the film personally, it felt like very personal to Dr. Samuel. And, you know, you have these inside, these outside influences from the Finnish missionaries and, and the American sort of nonprofit. But how did you kind of approach that from a perspective of not trying to um, present those as kind of like savior almost elements to the story? Because obviously Dr. Samuel is the surgeon and obviously the work the nonprofit does and the Finnish missionary did is incredible and, you know, really, really helped him. But it, to me personally, it felt like this was a very personal story and you did a really good job of kind of, not sort of focusing too much on those external elements like does that was that a very conscious thing or was that kind of that was a hundred percent at the forefront throughout this entire process we really really wanted to show that it was dr samuel working in his country for his people not you know some third party coming in and being like we're gonna you know do this this and this that it it's it's not the style of the nonprofit. They like supporting local programs. They like supporting people in country to do what they can. And, and they basically, as soon as Dr. Samuel came along, they had been sending some people out every now and then, but they tapered that way back and just focused on his program because he's there. He understands the people. His team is its own unit that of all Ethiopians that are going into Ethiopian villages and treating Ethiopians. And, and when you have that level, the patient doctor relationship is much stronger and you're able to do a lot more within local politics within local communities and so you know we really didn't want this to seem like oh look at all the people from the west who made this thing in the east possible we really wanted to make it seem because it's true yeah that this is dr samuel's mission 
and people are getting involved in helping because he's doing good work and he was doing good work first and will continue to do good work long after the nonprofit is no longer involved, which by the way, that's not going to happen. The nonprofit wants to sponsor him as long as they can, yeah. but um, you know, with or without them, he's going to continue doing his mission. So. Yeah. Um, as well, in terms of the, the score, I noticed it was um, Corey Wallace who, who did the score. Um, what was the, was that kind of done retrospectively, like in, in post-production or was like, what was the kind of process? Like, what was your instructions, if any, for the score? <laughs> Uh, so I had I had Corey try to keep me from going too far over the top. Um, I am a I like bombastic music and uh, I, I tend to go a little bit too far sometimes. And so uh, Corey and I talked about developing this tonal palette that was epic and hopeful and inspirational and adventurous, but, you know, hopefully doesn't push the line into like overdone, overblown or cheesy. Uh, maybe we skirted with that line on some of the songs, uh, but I think that he did a really good job of keeping me in check and balancing my desire to like, hey, Corey, put in a full horn section in here. He's like, no, 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 keep it down, tone it down. Like, let's just do this, you know, cool little, yeah. you know, piece right here in the middle. And that'll that'll get you through that section and that'll be better. So he was really good. And, and I just, Corey is a great composer, super fun to work with, super easy to work with. And we had a blast just developing the music for this. So. Yeah, it was really beautiful score. Like there was some really sort of really nice emotional tracks in there, but there was also some kind of really inspirational, as you mentioned as well. And this kind of um, atmosphere and tone throughout the film, it kind of really gently guided the narrative. I felt there was it kind of worked as well. It's the similar thing, I guess. I'd make a similar comment to the the voiceover narration. Um, mm. I, I I apologize, but I've forgotten the name of the the voiceover narrator. But um, there was this yeah kind of really like necessary but like gentle guidance with the narration it didn't feel ham-fisted or too forced or too over too overdone it was it was done really well and integrated really well thanks yeah uh that was adam bear on the voiceover um he is a really 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 talented voiceover artist and that was also the guidance for him was keep it you know keep it low keep it don't you know we 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 and keep it minimal. We cut, we actually, there was a lot more narration originally. We cut and we cut and we cut and we cut until it was just the lines that we needed to keep that narrative flow going. And then we sent it off to Adam. Uh, he did a just incredible job with it. And uh, I really think his voice elevated it. For a while there, we were thinking, maybe is it your voice, AJ? But no, 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 no one wants to hear me talk for an hour and a half uh, or an hour. So we uh, we got Adam in, he swapped the voice out and uh, it, oh, it's just gorgeous. I'm so pleased. You mentioned the runtime there too, 55 minutes uh, or thereabouts. Was there any desire to make it longer? Because you mentioned there's things you cut out in terms of not just, you know, the voiceover or so on, but also maybe sections or, or footage that you maybe wanted to keep in or anything like that. Was was there a desire to make it around that 90-minute mark or a bit longer? Or, or what was the what was the thought process behind the 55 minutes? Yeah, we we had toyed, we had toyed with 90 minutes, but the story really seemed to support, you know, the stories with the patients that really only seemed to support about a 55 minute runtime. And so rather than risk, maybe the audience loses interest after a certain point, we just stopped it at 55 and said, this is where our story is the best. This is where it shines. And, you know, there are always other supplemental features. You know, the DVD is going to have some bonus features, some really great interview lines that I had to cut. Um, a couple of pieces that weren't touched on, you know, fully. Those kind of things, let's put them on the bonus features. But when someone sits down to watch 55 minutes, 
that's about enough time. And that's about as much time as anyone would really want to watch cataract surgery, I feel. Um, so that it just felt right for the film is to keep it 55, keep it short, sweet and leave them wanting just a little bit more if there was more info they wanted. So you did perfectly that because I felt there was a very, very well paced and I actually was like, I want more. I want to see more. I want to see what happens next. What does what stops Samuel doing now? How many more patients has he has he performed surgery on? So yeah, and I you know I've, I've looked on the, the website for the foundation and the, and the film itself and done a bit more like looking around after the film finished. So you you did your job. Awesome. That's what we like to hear. That's exactly it. Yeah. If if you walk out and you're like, well, we've seen too much of that. I am bored by this. Then we 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 really failed, and that's what drove fifty five. Um, and speaking of Dr. Samuel, uh, you know, the pandemic slowed things down just a little bit, but he uh, he was back in action as of a few months ago. I know, you know, there are some rocky situations going on right now, but I believe in Addis Ababa, he's still operating on patients at this time. Um, he and the nonprofit have done over twenty four thousand cataract surgeries together, and that number continues to grow every year. So it's been a just an incredible, incredible project. So. Yeah, you mentioned the pandemic there as well. Obviously, you, I, mean, I know you mentioned earlier there was three years of post-production, I believe you mentioned. Mm-hmm. So yeah. what, when was this when was this actually filmed then? And sort of what's the what was sort of the lifespan of the film? Yeah, so we started this, I believe it was in 2018 is when I went to Ethiopia to film this. Um, and then after that, we had a lot of research to do. So if you see in the film, we actually go to London and we interview people at the Royal Society of Tropical Medicine, mm-hmm. which was, you know, uh, or the Royal Society of Medicine in London. Um, and uh, we interviewed Eldred Perry there, Sir Eldred Perry, who is this incredible, incredible instructor and philanthropist. Uh, and he actually got the nonprofit started and inspired to do work in Ethiopia through his lectures at the Royal Society of Medicine. We flew to Pasco, Washington to film American ophthalmologists, got to watch them do you know, surgery here and compare and contrast, you know, how does it look there uh, back and forth. So those added a couple extra months, uh, uh, maybe an extra year to the process, and then another year of just posting it all together and all of the finishing bits that come along with that sound mix and, and getting distribution with Passion River. And uh, that all took a good amount of time to kind of seal and, and get together. So uh, it was a long journey, um, but you know, I think every step of the way was just really fun and really exciting to be able to see, okay, well, where can we take the story now? So Yeah, and you mentioned distribution there. It's available on video demand the 16th, and I believe DVD as well. You mentioned about the bonus features there on, on physical as well. Yeah, uh, that physical is going to come out just a little bit later in January, okay. um, but you can pre-order it right now at theendofblindness.com. Um, and if you want to get involved with Tropical Health Alliance Foundation, you know, the cool thing about them is it only costs $50 to sponsor a cataract surgery. And they give that cataract surgery away for basically free to the patients. Um, and you can check out their work at thaf.org blindness. And you can learn all about Dr. Samuel's work. That's awesome. Um, just before we wrap up as well, I was wondering if you've got any other projects in the works at the moment that you wanted to talk about. Um, like, are you working on any, any more documentaries, any more fiction or narrative pieces? What, like, what's the, what's the next thing? Yeah, so when this, uh, I've got several scripts that I'm in development on right now. Uh, we're going to go back to narrative after this film. Uh, it's been wonderful working in documentary, but uh, narrative is my calling, and I can't wait to get back to that. So uh, we're going to go do some screenwriting, do some fundraising, and uh, hopefully there will be a new project to announce uh, in the next couple months. That's awesome. Sounds great. Well, I really appreciate your time. Uh, thanks, AJ. Um, it was, uh, as I mentioned before, really sort of heartfelt, but inspiring and, and motivating um, documentary. So 
congratulations. It, it did its job, as I said before. Thanks a ton, Jordan. It was so great hanging with you, and uh, I'm so glad you loved the movie. I, I, this is just awesome. Thanks so much for uh, the yeah. interview. I appreciate Thank it. Thank you. Yeah, you too. Thanks. Bye. Awesome. Bye.